it's crucial that people realize that there's a process to this. You know, there's a culture that you don't like now, but could have a huge impact on the next generation of footballers coming through. You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. You're very welcome to House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. I am joined this week by one of Ireland's most recognisable faces, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Philly McMahon. Hello, Philly. You're very welcome Hi, to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I know a lot of our, uh, our podcast subscribers and listeners will be going, Philly McMahon? But he's a gay man. Of course, you were known as a, a, a six-time All-Ireland winner, 11-time Lens. Ah, listen, your, your, your role of honour goes on forever. But we, we have you here today to talk about football, Philly, because let's be honest, you are a big football fan. You've been yes. involved in football. And I want to throw it right back to when you, when you started out as a young lad, right? Um, you obviously played both sports, yeah? And yeah. Uh, you became, like, one of, one of the weird things when we did our investigations about you was we found out you were an Everton fan. Which is a rare thing these days, Philly. How, how, can you just tell me how that came about? Yeah, it was kind of, I had no choice, to be honest. Oh, really? My dad and my brother and even me, my sisters were Everton fans, you know, so it was pushed on us. Um, for some reason, when my dad was growing up, there was a huge Everton base uh, in the north of Ireland and in the south. And yeah, there would have been years where I would have been dragged to home farm when there was a connection between Everton oh, and Oh, that's right, home farm Everton, yeah. And I watched a couple of games down there with them. But uh, yeah, I've been an Everton fan. Look, there's a, there's a huge connection. The, Everton was conne- it was obviously set up by a Catholic brother. Um, and and obviously then that, I'd say, was uh, the connection with, with, between Ireland and, and, uh, and Everton. Right, OK. So, so then obviously as a kid growing up, uh, you would have played both sports. Yeah, when it, for, soccer was my fourth sport, so just, the, the, you know, for a clearance of, of the wording and the language I use, soccer, I'm saying because I'm a guy head, and if there's any guy heads listening in, they'd be going, football, is he talking about Gaelic football? So apologies to the football people that I say soccer. But soccer. Yeah, so uh, I played soccer first, and um, I probably would have... Probably started with a team called Ballymun Town, actually, which amalgamated to Ballymun United eventually at the age of seven. Went to Nottingham Forest at the age of 14. Yeah. Played for Belvedere as well. And I suppose soccer is the is the game I've walked most in, in all the sports that I've, I've my hand on. I suppose I've walked in, uh, with, with athletes around MMA and rugby and gab, but soccer is, is the one I've walked in most. But you mentioned there, like, started off with Ballymun, then, like, Trials of Forest, mm. um, played with Belvedere, like, one of the top, top uh, school by clubs in the country, never mind in Dublin. Um, so you were obviously decent. You know, yeah, and I was lucky. Look at, I, I think the, the the structures of the of the schoolboy, you know, um, set up now here in Ireland is a little bit more difficult in terms of the age groups, 13, 15, 17. There's a lot of lads based off their physical profile and not actually their potential technically are getting left behind, which is letting the game down a little bit. I never had that, you know, so I was just, my dad get me, bring me down to Fairview. If I played well, we'd get the bus back. If I played poorly, we'd walk back to the <laughs> Moon, you know, that was the tough love, the tough love I got from my dad. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So really what ultimately that. then made you decide to go with the guy? Okay, well, I suppose I, I was that typical young kid that was, you know, when I played well in Ga, I was loving Ga. When I played, you know, well in soccer, I hated Ga. You know, <laughs> but I suppose Paddy Christie was the the key uh, thing for for me. Was Paddy Christie before I went 
uh, myself and another guy called Mark Hartigan, who's from Ballymun as well, went over to the forest and we had a party before we went over. And Paddy came to it and he said, look, I hope you do well and I hope you make it. And if you don't, when you come back, we'll, you know, Gal be always here for you, you know. So when I came back, uh, I, I'd obviously, my mates were in school that played Gaelic football and they were they were coming in with the best of, of gear that Paddy was looking after them with. And I was kind of like asking questions around how well I was being looked after in the soccer world. Right. And I suppose that veered me then back into, you know, heavily being focused around Gaelic football. I wasn't very good at Dublin. I was one of the Dublin squads from from the development ages up to minor. I wasn't a big name or anything like that. Started to physically develop from 18, 19, 20. Started really going after a career in the gym industry. So I started to develop physically. Uh, Dublin captain on the 21s and played for, for that same year I got me I made my debut for the Dublin senior team and were you still playing football at that stage as well? No I finished football about 16 Right Yeah and uh, after probably about 16, 17 years I went back playing for Tolga this year you know I know and you marked my son in a game there I a few weeks ago Tolga Rovers Bally Money United I tried to mark him he's <laughs> definitely a bit quicker than me you know big heavy guy legs on me. yeah um, but it's great I love the fact that you're still involved you're still, you're still playing you're still talking out every week and um, playing for playing for a local club it's great to see yeah you know? Tolga's brilliant because you're you're like physically you're okay you know but you're going in and you're getting challenged a little bit differently technically so you're trying to get your touch so much better you know I've been as Exposed to the tactics of the game at the highest level in this country, so I'd know a bit about that. But it's the it's the technical side that I'm trying to get better. At, you know, yeah. So. so just going into so yeah the the, the football career and uh, your professional involvement with football, I suppose. And uh, I mean, I suppose the first kind of high profile gig you were given was um, you were like the, the the strength and conditioning coach out of Shamrock Rovers uh, under the stewardship of when Trevor Crowley was was the manager out there. And can you tell us a little bit about how that happened and how? Yeah, I was training a couple of lads individually. Uh, had a couple of different agents sending their players to me to be training them before they went over to England. So I had Jack Bourne, I had um, who else? We had Alex O'Hanlon, who was in Liverpool. Uh, we had um, Enda Stevens, oh, who yeah, went yeah. to Aston Villa. So was training, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me. So I was training um, a lot of them lads. And Trevor actually was doing little bits with Enda because uh, he'd done bits with him in Rovers, and and uh, we'd sat down and had a chat and. I remember Trevor kind of saying to me, what would you do if you were a strength and conditioning coach? Um, would you come in once a week? Would you come in twice? I said, I'd get rid of one of your players and I'd come in full time. And he said, that's 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 probably what we do. If, right. That's what I do, he said. So he got the job. Uh, he got the job after, I think, Stephen Kenny. Yeah. I think he was the manager before him and then Michael Neal was before him. And he got the job. And yeah, we were, I was SNC for the twenty. 12 and 2013 season there. Yeah, I didn't speak to that year. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. But anyway, um, so fast forward then again, I uh, 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 suppose it transpired then a couple of years later, Trevi Crowley uh, moved over to, across the city, uh, came to Bowes, um, assistant manager for Keith Long. And I would I would imagine then on the back of the work he did at Rovers, uh, you were still in, in, in Trevor's thoughts and he was probably the one who recommended you to, yeah. to Keith Long. And, and can you tell us how that all started as well? Well, we definitely started Stead connected to me and Trevor. We we meet regularly and talk about you know sports performance. Um, Trevor's brilliant and he's he's highly kind of. Uh, I'm revered as one of the best coaches in the country. Yeah, for yeah. a reason because he, he's 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 always trying to learn. He's always trying to look at different. It's very innovative, like you know. And in 2018, um, he asked me to go in and, and uh, do a bit of work with the team, and I did. And again, nothing down to. 
me, but probably a bit of luck. They went on a 13 game winning streak. They got beaten by Cork after a replay. Oh, God, I remember I was yeah, there to turn us across. Yeah, yeah one nil up in, in Daily Mount in the first game, and, and the ball came over, and Daryl Lee went to kick the ball, unfortunately, uh, gave a pen away. And I think Ian Morris scored a screamer then down yeah, in Cork. One of the best goals I've ever seen live. It was a cracker, you know. But yeah, that was, I suppose, that gave them a little bit like, you know what? This stuff this fella might have can something. help us a little bit, you know. <laughs> so done a little bit. Twenty nineteen season, twenty twenty was the COVID season. They they done so really well. When you said you were doing a little bit with them, Philly, what were you doing? You were doing workshops with them, was it? Like yeah, but between twenty eighteen and twenty twenty one, when I went in full time with them, it was more workshops. You know, right. going in and and essentially those workshops. For example, uh, let's call them connection workshops. Okay, so. Uh, if I have a conversation to, with you today, I know you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we build a better connection, uh, and it's like an iceberg. So if we have general conversation, that's above the the water. That's the information we talk about day to day above the water. If we go under the water, you, you go into the the vulnerable state of the individual, and you start to build a deeper connection and a stronger connection, it's like a web, and the web gets thicker and thicker and thicker. So loads of things happen because of that. Fellas know each other. You create a safe psychological space. So if people are talking about issues outside of the the, uh, the, the, the change rooms. So that's building trust, that sort of, building trust, building yeah. connection, building, um, you know, building a safe space around vulnerabilities, and and essentially that connection piece helps you on the pitch and off the pitch. So okay. that's what we did on the workshops. Uh, as I said, stead connected with the lads. Twenty twenty one, there had been ten players had moved on. I think. Or came in to it was it was a dynamic to change that was very very uh, problematic for the group you know um, so the first nine games you know there's four sets of nine games first nine games uh, I'd been talking to Trev at the start of the season you know put a couple of poor results and um, they'd won two out of nine so I spoke to Trev I said Trev have you have you looked at these things he says no so I bring it to Keith Keith he said you know what I think we need to do those things but we don't have the time to do it. Can we speak? To, so two of them sat down with me and I said, look, I think there's so much more I can give you, but I need to come in and do it for you. Like, you know? so, so that's what we did. We built up a list of questions. Um, by the way, I can't go into the individual's information, oh, but I, I can go into the, the, the structures of what I've done because mm -hmm. it won't impact the current team because the team has changed so much and there's different management. So that's the only reason I'm speaking about this and I haven't spoke. This is the first time you're getting exclusive. Hey. <laughs> but essentially, um, sat down with the players individually and we, we basically had a list of questions and we wanted to find out a couple of things. First of all, um, the disco we discovered that there was a misalignment with the group. So apart from Georgie Kelly, he was the only one that won something within the group okay. in, in his career in terms of at that level. And that's when so, he was with Dundalk and he was yeah. on the periphery of the team. He was a sub. He was, he, yeah, he was exactly, yeah, he was criminally underused. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to change. We wanted to impact the... the we wanted to have a, mind, a mindset shift Okay, so we wanted to change that paradigm. The paradigm was basically look at all the habits and change those habits so they think in a higher frequency. Okay. So regardless if they play whoever in the league or Pauk in Europe, that the mindset is kind of still trying to get to that level of overthinking below the performance levels that they want to get to. Right. So, so they're always thinking, it's like, I want to win an All-Ireland. You can't just think I want to win an All-Ireland. You have to think above that so that if you fall short, you win an All-Ireland, right? What's above an All-Ireland? Best performing version of yourself, or best, okay, sorry, best, on an individual you can basis, yeah. be or yeah. performance more, you know. So there's loads of different ways you mm -hmm. can you can kind of be above that. So uh, and the, the other thing that we, we we kind of identified from those meetings was that it was a misalignment. So they were all thinking of different things, but we also found out that a lot of these players 
were in, in no way bad. You know, we're looking at, you know, Bowles as a really good development club that was going to bring them to the next step of their career. The stepping stone. Exactly. So I brought that information to the group, uh, to, to the management group. I said to, I would have met Trevor and, and Keith on a weekly basis for, for, for uh, performance meetings. And I would have said to them, look, at the start of this, this is going to have a huge impact on us. Uh, because if we do well this year, these lads will move on. Mm -hmm. They don't have long contracts. Yeah. The club is in a transition. Uh, it's doing well. The expectations. You're going to give them one-year contracts at the time. Yeah. You, yeah. you can't. You can't. So, so it was coming. There was nothing that that Keith and Trevor could have done. Okay. I can. I can. I can tell you that. I've looked back on that. Probably a little bit more. Uh, an impact on recruitment was needed, but it was coming the year before. Right. So, so that's what happened. And we brought them on a mindset shift. We brought them on um, a quantum leap. It's called. Got them thinking of a higher frequency and we got them then performing at a higher frequency and we got them getting results. And that's what happened. The second nine games, the idea is let's outperform everybody, right? And let's out by, outperform everybody by looking at certain uh, KPIs, okay? So we set KPIs and we spoke about them religiously. Like, the, in fairness to the lads... Or for were, anyone not sure what a KPI is, a key performance key indicator, performance isn't it? Indicator, yeah. yeah, and they were very generalised mm -hmm. at that stage. And we needed to make them more specific so that we could actually impact the game live. Okay. So we started looking at those and we started trying to beat those KPIs constantly. So, um, and that worked really well. The second nine games, we, we outperformed every team in Baris Ligo. Okay. All right, but we didn't win every game. We won six out of nine. We drew one. Uh, huge improvement on the first nine though. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we lost. Uh, we, 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 we underperformed from Sligo. Third round of games, we we done uh, well enough. The difficulty we have in the third nine of games is we had congestion weeks. We had 11 congestion weeks in the season. The next team to us was, was Shamrock Rovers who had six. When you say congestion weeks? Friday, Mondays. Friday, Mondays. Oh, Friday of course. Yes, we had 11. Yes. 11, right? Wow. So physically, we again flagged that. That was going to take a toll on our body. We were in Europe. Uh, again, done well in Europe. You know, we looked at getting to, we wanted to, you know, look at our KPI as the same as what we're doing in, in the domestic league to Europe. And uh, some of the most brilliant workshops I've been a part of because of the players and the management have been abroad. Like, you know, there were special, special uh, workshops. And uh, we were like, look, we were very close to beating Pauk. Like, you know, probably if he didn't concede the goal in the Aviva, it would have been yeah. easier. Wally yeah. maybe scoring that goal. I know, poor old Wally. Kick. But a lot went against us that day, you know. But it was an incredible, um, like, I mean, I know people and listeners to podcasts know my, my allegiances and uh, League of Football yeah. with Bowes, and they're probably sick of me talking about Bowes, but that particular summer, the three nights in Aviva, like, as I've mentioned a couple of times, as a Bowes fan, and I think even for the wider general League of Ireland uh, fans, three really special nights. Uh, like the weather was beautiful, obviously great circumstances. And we were in COVID as well. And it was mm. a, a relief being back in the stadium, being with your friends again. But the performance levels of Bowes in Europe, like didn't just, like the first two, Starnian and Dudelange, yeah. who Pats have now, yeah. like just, just dispatched them comfortably. Particularly at home. Yeah. You know, because we looked at our KPIs. And again, that was probably one of the things that didn't fall nice right for us against Pauk was that we had a first game at home. Yeah. You know, the other two games we... we they were the second leg at home. dogged yeah. the first two games and brought them home and, and really done well and mm -hmm. performance-wise. like Our performance KPIs, believe it or not, it's mad to think, but we went to Pauk. There was very little Bowles fans there because of COVID. There was a couple that snuck in. Yeah. You know, it was, Most it was of them were incredible. in a pool party. Yeah. <laughs> down yeah, the road, went the, the in. At the bar. But, <laughs> but uh, the um, when you walk out of the stadium, right, it's, it's like a bowl and I have a, I have a clip where... You, I was behind the lads as they were walking out 
because you use some of that video stuff for meetings and stuff like that. Okay. For motivation and everything. But they were walking out, they walk up the steps and uh, I think it's ACDC, do you know where it goes? Boom. It's like The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. In the wrestling. Boom, boom. Right, it's, it's like you're in hell. Yeah. Right? And you're walking up and on the right hand side, it's just, I would say, I don't know, it's like, let's say, Hill 16, just all men though. Right. It's weird. It was okay. like loads of men like, yeah. and they're just screaming screaming like, and you're like just the like, ultras oh my god yeah. this is like it was just incredible like probably what you get in the Jody stand in mm -hmm. one section yeah screaming the same thing it was incredible experience 32 degrees yeah. so before the game myself and Daniel Lambert were kind of we had the UEFA official there and we were saying this is the way we were setting up our KPIs were based on four quarters right even in even in the league we were like right, okay quarter one quarter two half time get in reassess quarter three quarter four and it suited us down the ground. But it was like, you couldn't get a water break if if it was below 32, I think it was. Wow. 31 degrees. So we had planned this. We had said in our meetings, get to the first quarter, get to the half time, and then we reassess. Like, just do your best for that for that 17 and a half minutes. And me and Daniel Lambert were going over to the, the UEFA official saying, it's too warm. We need water breaks. We need water breaks right before the game. And the, there, was a, there was an actual... Uh, thermometer on the screen, yeah. like beside the screen we're like it's about to hit 32 we you're praying for it to this hit 32 this is not good yeah. and we got it right. and we got it because we knew they were in pre-season as well like, yeah, they yeah. were only starting to build a fitness up and then we got the two sucker punch goals right at the beginning like so yeah. that killed us but, but our KPIs by the way we outperformed our KPIs outperformed um, Pauk you can still hit your best what, what KPIs and lose um, so we like the two main ones were um, we looked at Offensive and defensive. Right. So we wanted to look at our best performance shots and shot, shots to shots on target, and then the opposition shots to shots on target against. So and all of the other stuff fits fits in with that, right? So they're just the main two numbers to think of because mm -hmm. you have loads of KPIs. It doesn't go into your head as a as a as a sports person. Have you got simple information? So if you were saying to the lads, first quarter, no shots. They, they don't get no shots. That's what they're thinking in the match. Okay. So they're, they're thinking, right, no shots. So they go in a half time and the opposition have had four shots and two of those are on target. The manager can directly say to them, okay, defensively, what's not working? Because look at our, look at our stats. Or it could be, we want to get 17 shots and we want to get uh, so, 11 so, shots and so seven amazing, on target. Like, because like, I'm fascinated the fact that this is live, right? Yeah. Um, like When I think of performance analysis, I always think it's after the fact. So this is what we did last week. We need to improve. But the fact that you are doing it live is is like, uh, it's new to me. Yeah. And you're saying just even there, first quarter, no shots. Okay, we have a problem there because we got two shots on target. That's being said at halftime. Are you able to present the figures yeah. there at halftime in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah. So we too, wow. well, particularly at home. Um, we'd have the TVs in, in, in Daily Mail. Okay. So you'd have one with the stats and then you'd have one with the, with actually clips right. of what needs to be improved. So Trevor would be going through, right? Aaron, Aaron, who was the statistician, he'd be saying, he'd be clipping the game mm -hmm. up while the management are speaking and he'd be saying, right, okay, the, the connection between them getting four shots is they're, they're attacking us down the left wing or they've got a goal because we dropped the runner. Why did that runner be dropped? Or we're not getting enough shots because... We're not playing this system that we want to play. And another key one was what I was doing. So you would have seen me in the Aviva just on my laptop. I feel like this you know. I was I remember doing <laughs> I was doing co-coms for a for a Bowers Rovers game and and, uh, and there wasn't that many people in the stadium because of COVID. And I was in the gantry. I remember looking down 
and you and a couple of the Bowes backroom team and you were yeah. on your laptop and here I was ah here Philly yeah, I never got to watch the game on Facebook or something was going, you think you'd watch the match yeah, <laughs> or I never really, the Sunday game or something I, I never really got to watch the games as well like, <laughs> yeah. because uh, I'd be like this look, look, look. Yeah. so essentially what I was doing there I was looking to see uh, momentum shifts in the game so if Pau so you could you could you could you could tell by the data there of yeah. momentum shifts. Yeah, that's like incredible. So we would have a chart that's looking at if we were playing Rovers, let's say, uh, I'd be able to give information to debts are debts are they're starting to get momentum. So momentum, uh, what we what we identified was momentum was was linking to goals. So every time the opposition got momentum, it was it was goals. So I used to have a myself and Anto Breslin used to have great crack because um, the odd time when they were rotating Anto and, and uh, Tariq Wilson, if Anto was on the bench, he'd he'd sit beside me and go, "What's the momentum like? It's coming, Anto. The goal is coming, and it'd come. Wow, the goal would come. Right? Yeah, you'd be knocking at the wall. Is that either for or against? You could tell both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you'd see like a momentum shift, and that momentum shift is good the information will be going in, keep doing it. Or sometimes, even if the momentum is good, you're telling them to shift to another level. So okay. Because your opposition adapts to what you're doing. Right. So when, when, when let's say if we were playing Rovers and they were getting momentum, we'd radio down, change to the opposite plan. Wow. And the plan would be there and the coach would go, right, okay, get the message in, we're going to this, this colour. Right. So, the, so the, the, sorry, the manager would choose then to take the advice or not? It's yeah, not Keith, like, Keith, yeah. we're there just to support Keith. Keith's right. there to support if, to him. So we'd give the information down to him and he decides whether he wants to do it or not. Right. And that's that's fine. That's He's the main man, like, you know. So, like, uh, I'll give you an example. We would have, uh, in Pauk in the Aviva, we would have said uh, at a certain stage that a certain defender needed to be changed. It looked like he was fatiguing and yeah. the player got across and for the goal and that would have been radioed down. Right. The information back would have been... Keith was okay. He's, he's, you know, this is yeah. this is grand. We think it's he's all right. So that's what you have to take. You yeah, know? yeah. And then I suppose you kind of have to say, well, look, at the end of the game when you debrief it, why aren't we using that information? Or you know, so so that's that's that dialogue is very important. So everybody in the management team has has a, an important part to play, and that was one of the key things I wanted to do when I went into the group was to from Collie, who was the most connected man in the club the uh, with the team and the yeah. club and the fans. Yeah. He's been there with loads of different managers. I wanted to look at supporting him. Aaron, Aaron was uh, somebody that uh, was helping uh, uh, Collie as a kit man. Was, okay, so you, you were know. making connections with people who were non-playing staff as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well no, they, they were staff but like we, what we were doing was we were looking at how could we get the best out of them. How could we, right. you know, not just players, the staff as yeah. well to an extent, to an extent because yeah. that wasn't just my my role was to go in and, and help the environment and yeah. help the, the team. Like you're not going up to Collie afterwards and going, hey, are you folded that jersey no. wrong there, Collie? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's sitting down with Collie and saying, Collie, yeah. what do you think we need to do? Is there anything more? What, what support do you need in terms of having the best kit there? Having, you know, so, so Collie was obviously very little. You could support Collie because he was there so long and done so well. Army and, man as well. Disciplined. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Unbelievable, man. Like, <laughs> How long does it take, uh, Philly, for you, when you go into a group like that, do, is it, does it depend on the individual like to earn that trust so you're going yeah. in you're asking them questions and you're explaining why you're asking these questions are are people some people more guarded and wondering what the fuck's this all about kind of thing what's this got to do with football I suppose, I suppose my way of getting the trust straight away was was uh, making sure my information was was let's put it this way non-bullshit right you know make sure the information is is as accurate as possible but I suppose the, the crucial part was the lads knew that my job was to get the best out of them, to make them have a better career, to make them potentially make more money. So I would have had lads that have moved on and still contacted me and done kind of stuff with me. And I remember 
a player I've spoke to and and day one and his ambition was to play in England at the highest level. That was his goal. So he does golf for balls and his goal for himself and um and he only contacted me last year and said, I'm getting closer to it. Right. I'm in England now and yeah. I'm getting closer to it. Like so All the Bows fans isn't this now going, who's that one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few players to go through there, yeah. but but I think that's that's what I want to do. I want to build up the respect of the lads that all I'm here to do is help you. You know, that's it. And if some of the stuff you don't take on board, that's cool. Like I remember Keith Buckley saying, Do you use this stuff in England? Like it's surely lads in England don't go and like yeah, they kind of do do this in England at yeah. the minute, you know. Yeah, some, yeah. some clubs don't, but that's a real difficulty in in the in the league. Like you know, twenty one to twenty two season, stark difference. Like you know, when I worked with balls, because um, as I said, the the dynamics changed. The group that I had in twenty twenty one, a huge amount of that leadership group moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Keith Buckley, you had Andy, you had, uh, you had Georgie, Rob Cornwall. Rob Cornwall. Um, am I missing anybody? Uh, oh, there's probably loads because every year, every season, my me, me heart breaks when I see five the players or six on that leadership yeah. group, and they all moved on. Mm-hmm. They all moved on. So, so that initial, you know, the discussion we had at the start of 2021 that these lads will move on, that happened. But the whole leadership moved on. So we had already. So the plan was to put an emergency emerging group in leadership group in. So this the next kind of potential leader group coming yeah. through. So you would have identified these younger players as potential leaders going forward. Yeah, from the 2021 group, right. It was too. There was wasn't enough time. They didn't spend enough time at the club for that to be okay. them to become leaders. But so so I had a three year plan, right? Year one, go in, look at the standards, look at the setup, look at the vulnerabilities, looking at connection, looking at documenting the culture, uh, and driving performances. That's it. I wanted to get the best out of the team and whatever I could, and along with the great work that the coaching staff are doing. Year two then was give them ownership develop a player-centric led culture year three hand her over to them and have the management team just really support that uh, but you're caught like because you had the group that you had from 2021 they weren't ready to step up as leaders the group the group, the new players that came in you're going oh you have to do 2021 stuff for Juice right so it was it was I could I should have stepped away really yeah I should have stepped away because it, it was too dynamic but you know they had when you say you should have stepped away Philly were you t- were you worried about how the perception of you being as the most performance coach so to speak and both yeah. struggling and you yeah. thinking oh people are going to play no not necessarily like I mean I suppose um the writing was on the wall a little bit. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really help the group. So, yeah. you know, I just... Was that frustrating for you? I was probably stubborn. Yeah. I, I probably stubborn in a way that I was kind of saying to myself, no, you can't help them, Philly. Keep right. going, keep going. But that's one of the main... Lear- it was The 2022 season for me was one of the best learnings for me. And I'll, okay. take, I'll take whatever I go because... And I think there's other clubs that are, are going through a similar transition to Bowles now. Like you look at Shells. Shells... You know, when you look at it, you look at the culture and the dynamics and the transition. Shells are going to be like balls. If if shells have a good year, you'll have players. If they're on, let's say, single year contracts, I'm sure there's multi year contracts there as well. But they're going through a transition, and you could do a whole podcast on that as well. But what I'm, what I'm, I think the key thing for me was, I didn't want to walk away when things were weren't good, you know. And it's it, it's interesting. I think this is very important to acknowledge that Declan and the group that are there now have done unbelievably well. You know, and I'd love them to go to that next level, get yeah. into Europe and do well. I would, I would, because I'm still in contact with players. It's not so much the connection I have at balls, really. It's just it's the individuals. Group. It's the group of yeah. players that. But well, Booker right? still loves you. I've yeah, yeah. There recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's mad about you. So <laughs> Booko rang me when he was coming back from Australia, and he was like, "Can I meet you for a session?" I was like, "No way, I'm not actually in the group anymore." Right. Booko, but come over, like yeah. you know, we'll, we'll chat. But he's a great fella and great leader. And, and uh, you know, the crazy thing was. 
as much as we identified the kind of the 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 issues that we were going to have, we did a SWOT analysis after twenty twenty one. It was very hard to stop. You know, the fires were being you could see the fires happening, uh, but we 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 did try as a group. Uh, Bucko, that was done, right? Um, James Talbot was done. Adam McDonald was done. You know, right, the, he was done the day before Keith got the boot. Paddy right. Quirk, uh, Kirk was was in the, in definitely in the process. Um, you know, so all of those lads that were brought in were already in the process. You know, um, so so that was the first key part that we were going to try get for twenty twenty three. Like you know, it was just we were running out of time, and. Um, you know, obviously, you have Grant Thornton came back from loan. That was from the twenty twenty two season. You know, you've Ali still there, um, and there was a few lads that were going to, that moved on that were probably going to be moved on because mm-hmm. it just wasn't working. Like you know, so it's unfortunate that the dynamics probably could have, you know, but you just can't say. Yeah. I think Declan's come in with the lads and done a great job. You mm-hmm. know, so but it's 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 frustrating. You're right. It is. It's frustrating because you, you know the amount of work that Keith and Trevor put in. The club had gone through a transition. Any manager that was there that were going to go through that. Yeah, you know, it was just unstoppable. Is it? Um, is it something you'd be keen to do again? Uh, would you like to get a step back into football? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would. To be honest, I'm. Uh, I love it. I got so much. I learned so much from the lads. Learned so much from Trevor and Keith, uh, Dets or Beno, all the boys. I learned from everybody. It was brilliant. Uh, I just need uh, every time I go into the League of Ireland, I, I kind of need a time to kind of digest what's happened and the information that I've gathered, so that I can bring that to the next group. You know, so it's um, it's I, I, I suppose. The League of Ireland, I'm a fan of. Yeah, I, they've got something. I, I always think of it, and some people might find this offensive. I think League of Ireland is like Ballymun. Right. Okay. Ballymun have been neglected by government policy for years. <laughs> League of Ireland has been neglected by by the FEI for years. Yeah. You know, and the problem every, child, <laughs> and everybody has in the League of Ireland. They'll they'll have rivalry, and it's like Bowers Bowers Rovers games. You're like, wow. But like, uh, for me, it's. No matter where you go around the country, you will notice, notice the difference between a League of Ireland fan and someone that's maybe a fan of English football or a fan maybe of uh, the international stage. Uh, and maybe just crossover. What's there. the difference? Really? But I just I, they just love yeah. League of Ireland. So passionate, Look, regardless of the club. Now yeah. I say that you know slightly, like, but no, there's, no, there's, I know, I know exactly where you're coming from. Like I mean, I've I've, I've been you know I've been I've been slated by uh, opposition fans for my allegiances to, yeah. to to Bowles, but at the end of the day, I've a hell of a lot more respect for a fan of another club than I would say a fan of Liverpool or Man United kind of thing like you know someone who supports the League of Ireland I'm a fan of them basically but you always hear that Eric you always hear I'm a League of Ireland fan Mm -hmm. you know yeah and and then within that you have your club but that's the difference you never really like I'm a fan of GEA of course but you never really have that I'm a fan of GEA like you would have I'm a League of Ireland fan Mm -hmm. so I think that's what's special about the league I think it's you've got clubs that are really up against it like I love what Trotter Trot to do. Yeah, I really do. Like they they fight against it every time. I love what UCD do. You know, um, and they still co- still keep coming back and from they still keep fighting yeah. and fighting yeah. Finn Harps. Yeah. You know, uh, I think even Galway and Waterford coming up next year if they they're looking like they're going to be yeah. promoted. I think those two are like uh, like I got, like I know the playoffs, but I think yeah, um, it gives it gives the league a bit it more d- of it. dynamically. It spreads yeah. out a little bit more. You know, so. I am a fan of the league, you know. I don't really have particular allegiance to one club. But in I, in terms know. of football and getting back into it, Philly, would you consider a move abroad or anything? Like, 
I was asked to go over to uh, two clubs in England actually at one point, but it wasn't actually for performance coaching. It was for um, strength and conditioning. But I, I have a young kid now, like, yeah. you know, I've learned and he's six, 16 months old. So, but, you know, I've always been from a very young age, that person that I've looked on with my club and with Dublin and said, I'm going to help them. You know, right. so if anybody's listening from Everton, <laughs> <laughs> let me know. I'll be over straight away. But what, if, what if Robbie Kane gives it a show for to join him in Maccabi Tel Aviv? Do you know what? I spoke to Robbie uh, a little bit about culture. Really? Uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, Keith Andrews linked us in. Yeah. And uh, Robbie was with, working with Mick McCarthy at the time. And I showed, showed him a couple of frameworks. And Robbie was, yeah, he was... He was liking it, but he was kind of more wanting to do himself. Right, you know? right, so, right. Uh, but he, he said, look, when I go into management, I'll give you a shout about it. So I'm still waiting for the phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just on the whole um, GAA football thing, uh, Philly, like, you know, one of the most high-profile high switches from GAA to football. Obviously, you had the historical one of Kevin Moore and mm. Dubs legend. Most playing. Manchester United, yeah. like, incredible. Yeah, incredible. But uh, uh, Jimmy Guinness. Jimmy Guinness, yeah. You know, Donegal, uh, he, he reinvented Donegal basically and the, that, that whatever you want to call it, puke football or whatever you want to call it, I don't care. <laughs> Mass defence, let's yeah, call it. Sorry, blanket defence, a very, very well-structured defence. <laughs> low block. Football. Low block, there you go. In football yeah. team, football That's players, what it is. A low it block. Is. Just that, get everyone behind the ball. That, that's what he done. I, I think Jim's connection with football uh, crossed over into GAA and he created a low block. Right, that's okay. what he did. Yeah, and uh, every every team now you see doing it, which is, it's 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 challenged the game. It's challenged players and management to get to a level of tactics that it wasn't at. Uh, it's 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 I suppose it's you look at the spectators' point of view. It doesn't look really good. It's mm-hmm. not end to end. It's not linear. Um, as it was in generations, you know, which just kick the ball out, catch it, kick the ball in, score. You know, so I think the rule changes they're creating now is trying to. You know, Encourage more flowing. Back, but yeah. It should be down to the players. But yeah, yeah Jim, Jim McGuinness, in fairness to him, he brought the, a different game to the sport. And it's you see, you go down to any club game now in Dublin, you'll see people getting behind the ball. He's obviously a bit deep thinker of the game and, you know, inevitably like landed a role at Celtic. Mm. Um, he's, he's a. And like, look, do you look at. Was, was there, would you, did you sense even, like, is there is there still that kind of level of snobbery not snobbery what's the word you know in the, within the GAA of players doing that daring to go and play or not get really involved from the in GAA, football no, no not from, from the GAA there's a cultural um, acceptance that uh, if you want to bring something into the game or the sport that you have to go outside it as well Like so I, I think of it like I, I love the analogy I heard from a performance coach before uh, squeeze the orange which basically means when you've got uh, if you've squeezed the orange within the, the group the knowledge within the group uh, and the expertise in the group, but then you have to go from the outside. You have to look from the, bringing information from the outside. And that's what Keith and Trevor done. They felt, we don't have the skills to do that stuff. Let's bring somebody in. An awful lot of coaches, I would say, in soccer in this country don't really look at that. Because why? They've spent so much time in their education and their badges and their money and the badges and stuff like that. And they've been passed down habits from years. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Creating a safe psychological space is one of the most important things I tried to do with Bowles because there had been, uh, I'd, I'd spoke to players off different clubs over, over the years and there's this culture or narrative that when someone makes a mistake or someone drops a runner or, or the team play bad, that hammer them, hammer them individually, hammer them collectively. And I wanted to challenge that because that doesn't work. That creates more fear. And when you fear, you can't play with flow. So for me... So don't uh, be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Once you you can... 
w- once you can speak about the the error and learn from it, well then that's what we want. You want you want players to say, I dropped the runner there, and this is what I was thinking right before the runner. Like when I went in, we had an issue with conceding, like which happened in twenty twenty two as well, and a, an issue with uh, conceding from set pieces. So we started to t- we started to question. Well, what are you thinking in that moment? Okay, right. Some of the centre halves and the, the full backs were thinking, don't concede it, don't drop a runner, right? Which is the bad. It's the bad. It's it's negative self talk. Don't think of the pink elephant. You just did. Right. Don't think of conceding the goal. You just conceded. So it's not very measurable scientifically yeah. or psychologically. But instead, we started to change the the language they were using. So get across them. Get across them. Win the header. You know, um, so positive one v one, show them down the line, whatever that is. Um, yeah, information that your your actual conscious mind is going to then register into your subconscious mind, which is what where your habits are, right? Where your actions are. Your conscious mind is your doing. Your subconscious mind is, or sorry, your conscious mind is your knowledge, and your subconscious mind is your actions, your habits. So we wanted to create good habits over and over and over again, and. Management have those habits, you know, mm-hmm. they'll go in and slaughter players and create an unsafe psychological space, which creates clicks, creates the voids, you know, players want to move on to clubs, easy to make a decision when you have a player that's, that's har- a manager, sorry, that's harping on every time you make a mistake, you know. Yeah. Um, like, do you think maybe, like you mentioned there, because the, the, the lads in the coaching badges and it's passed down to them and it's ingrained, it's, uh, it's institutional almost, like the way coaching is coached in Ireland. Do you think there's room for... Um, development within the coaching side of FAI badges to include what you're talking about the mentality side of things as well because it sounds like they're they're probably not getting that side of the game as well it's very harsh for me to say yes mm-hmm. they need more support on that because I don't I've never done my badges I yeah. don't know what's going I know, I know from speaking to coaches what goes on um, does it appeal to you Philly do badges no to do badges yeah. I got asked that I want to do them uh, no interest no, okay no I, th- I think when you do badges there's a benefit to them yeah there's a standardization to it, but also you can be pigeonholed into having blind spots. Right. So, for example, all the coaches do their badges in the league. Uh, they'll get, you know, they'll have their own way of doing things also, but they're kind of, this is the way you train, lads, this is the way you do things. And it stunts innovation to an extent, just to an extent, because every manager in the league will have their own ways. But you, you can look at managers. You can look at Damien Duff, Stephen Bradley, Keith Long, Trevor, and you can, ju- you can, you can like, I'll give you an example. Uh, we can we, the information I can give players is how do we know when we're doing things right first of all performance KPIs the result the scoreline all that sort of stuff but we can also look at the energy of the team the energy of the, your bench is crucial so we used to do uh, we used to look at things let, let, let's look at it this way I know I'm probably going loads of different directions here but now this is great for it's you. the way it works in my head but um, I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather listen to you saying this than say Eric give me 10 burpees <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah but the, the like what we would have done was we would have challenged the status quo we would have challenged the standards of the culture of, of what Bose would have experienced to the extent of challenging the officials so what I mean by that is we would have said to the to the players at a certain point, do not talk to them to the officials. The only person that talks to the officials is the captain. Okay. All right? Okay. Um and we don't want to they've enough they've they've hard enough job. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Don't get on their backs. Get on the ball, move the ball. That's the, that's our game. We want to play a game where we angle, we move the ball fast, we shift their defence, and we fatigue them, and eventually we 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 create uh, opportunities to get shots with goals. Um, and I remember talking to one of the uh, the linesmen uh, walking over across the pitch 
uh, before the game. And I said to him, do you notice that um, any of the players aren't really engaging with you? Um, you know, give them lip or give them... And he says, do you know what? I actually do. I, I actually do. Uh, I, I've noticed that the last couple of games. I haven't, I haven't felt as intimidated. Right. Right? Okay. So, so when I intimidate you, generally you run or you yeah. fight back. Yeah. Okay. Fight or flight. And that's, w- yeah. and that's where you see a little bit of bias in decision making in, 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 in sports. Um, that didn't even work though. There were still situations where we were identifying uh, officials' mistakes, like obvious mistakes. And we were saying, I'm telling, we're telling these lads to, to be professional in, in their approach to officials but it's not impacting your decisions right. about the officials. So that's one area that can be looked at. Yeah. You know, um, the coaching badges thing, it's just another layer probably that they need to look at um, their pedagogy of how they actually coach. I know they probably do some sort of, you know, um, micro-teaching where somebody will observe somebody. But I think there's a level of that that's not going to be seen unless you're a manager. Right. Um. I suppose you know, the the big debate, I suppose, that's going across uh, the League of Ireland at the moment, Philly, is the, um, <clears throat> it's a simple question and it's already in the conversations out there. It's in the stratosphere. Do do League of Ireland cl- clubs need <clears throat> more support from the government? And there's that big plan that's been submitted by the uh, the the people behind the plan. <laughs> that was a great great way of saying it. That, <laughs> that, 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 that report was submitted by the people who submitted the report. Um, <laughs> but uh, the... So the, the FEI said it's time to deliver a new future for the League of Ireland and the estimated cost of the whole infrastructure project is like $863 million. Um, It's brilliant that it's even been spoken about as well. And Philly, because you've worked in the League of Ireland and you've seen, I suppose, you mentioned the passion of the fans, the passion of the people who work behind the scenes. There is a great foundation there, I suppose. Um, but you, you, this is a much needed thing. Well, it's the time to do it. The right. league is buzzing. You know, the fan base has increased so much. If you watch that 2018 game against Cork, look at the Jody stand. Yeah. Right. No COVID then. Yeah. Look at the Jody stand. Look at the Jody stand every game this week. Look at look at Rovers, look at Cork, look mm. at whatever you want, Dundalk. Um, the, the, the league is buzzing right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's the time to do it. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, the infrastructure of the stadiums and the setups, no-brainer. Um, the difficulty you have is that there's a discrepancy between the levels of the clubs. Right. You know, you, you would have heard the the the, draw, the manager come out and say, "Look, we are heavily under, you know, under competing on the basis of you know uh, investment." Yeah, uh, and he'd welcome an investment. So, so how do you compete when you're a team like like Drada and Rovers, who have heavily invested, and then you have bowls who have a different model? Who obviously, as being mentioned, you know so much. It's a it's a fan based cl- owned yeah. club. Um, so so, but but they've had really su- you know a massive success uh, through no fault of having a, a board that have done brilliant work. Um, you know their fan base increasing. You know the amount of money they've made from players moving on, but that has to stop somewhere. Yeah, because they want to develop and they want to get the stage of winning medals here, like you know, or winning winning cups and, and silverware here. So you have to stop. Like the one thing I would say um, that Rovers have done really well. If you want to be successful in this league, have players that are going to be here for the next two or three years. Right, middle aged. You know, in their <coughs> careers, uh, Dundalk done it. Um, if you look at Bowes right now. You have a cohort that are falling into that category, but then you have loads of lads on loan, a couple of Scottish boys, and it's not it's unstable. Mm-hmm. Rovers 
generally have players that are going to be there for the you know the long haul. And that's where you can them. implement those plans. You said two, three-year plans kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. <clears throat> How do you get to a stage where all clubs can implement two to three-year plans without having the strategy that's going to, you know, go to the stage where Bowes were a couple of years ago and they went into, into debt? Your experience of um, the structural differences between, I say, let's say, the GAA and football in Ireland. Your opinions and observations on that, Philly? Well, like, let's say... The obvious one is that uh, we would train a little bit less, but at higher intensity. Okay. Whereas the lads would train, you know, does this thing with balls going full time? Yeah. You know, they just change the times. <laughs> to train in the morning, they, the the they couldn't train anymore. Right. The two days off. Yeah. You know, and especially when you have a Friday Monday game, uh, they change the times, which suits the players a little bit more. I think, uh, yeah, I suppose like it's more appealing to the players now yes, because is, they have the evenings is. off exactly. as opposed to waiting around all day to go train. Yeah. That and night. they'll open the lads. The lads will openly say it suits yeah. them better. So that's that's. That, but, but in terms of they were full time, but just the t- the times changed, yeah. which suits the players, which is great for the, for the lawyers and everything else. Um, so the 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 style, the structures are different. Um, the amount of games is is totally different. Uh, like in Ga, you'd have now it's changing. You're starting to get more games, mm. week and two weeks gaps. You know, but it used to be when I was playing four weeks, it's so you'd no excuse not to do your homework or analysis. Whereas when you're uh, when you're a footballer, a lot of footballers aren't academic. So when you start to do academic stuff in classrooms, it gets difficult. Whereas Ga fellas are very academic. There are a lot of them have went to university, so they find that stuff a little bit easier. Still want to play football as as much as they're. There's in- our exclusive there. Philly you McMahon know. says Ga players are smarter than footballers. Jeez, don't do that. <laughs> We're all smart in different that. ways. Yeah. We're all smart in different ways. But yeah, um, the culture is different. Yeah. It's definitely different. Uh, I think the one of the, as I said, one of the the, the narratives that I was trying to change was that there was a point where in 2022 season there was this thing of lads were saying Philly this stuff is probably over the, going over the heads of some of these lads yeah. uh, that have just come in uh, and and all I was trying to do was create a elite performance environment so you're trying to say you know instead of you saying these lads aren't kind of at the level to be taking this information on it's you as a player need to get them to that level you as a manager need to get them to that level so we can create that elite environment so there is that question mark over innovation, over new things coming into the game. Like how many managers, how many teams do you see bringing in different sports people into their into their setup? Yeah, there's actually none. Yeah, I don't true. think so. I think John Caulfield is probably a bit of an outlier in that he's done a lot of work with people. He's a guy background as well. Like you know, yeah. I remember meeting John before. I think they played Dundalk in the FAA, FAI Cup final, and he said to me, "I want to pick your brain." And he said to me. Uh, I actually bought the whole team your book so they have to read it before the game. No so, way. Jeez, that's interesting. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, he'd Lisa Vallon working with them as well. Lisa, like, yeah, you know? yeah. So he's very innovative when he did <laughs> what, he, what he did. But it's a league that's so small and, and that, you know, it's probably you're working with lads that you played with and you've got a respect and trust with. But I think the league could do better with bringing fellas, and this is probably selling me, but uh, you, know, you, you, you could bring different sports people in. Gareth Sauke is very interesting. He had a working group, and in his working group, he could have brought in whatever old, experienced lad that had played, managed England and managed whatever football teams. He brought in Stuart Lancaster. He brought in someone from digital, someone from military background. Okay. And what they came up was, it's very similar to the air issue now, they wanted to challenge the... the um, the media narrative that was impacting the noise that was impacting the players. 
Right. So you play for England, you have to win the World Cup, you have to do this. And uh, that's why he wanted to try block out. But he had a he had a, a working group that hadn't the blind spots that other managers would have in the game. So he was learning so much more information. Ireland are falling into that now. Like Stephen Kenny, uh, if you were to ask uh, James McLean or someone else, what was your goal as in the 100 caps? Mm. Play for around 100 caps, probably get into a, an international tournament. If you were to ask a German football, English football, a Brazilian, whoever, French, uh, French, what's your ambition as an international footballer? To win the World Cup, mm-hmm. to win the Euros, higher frequencies, yeah. thinking in different ways, very similar to what I was talking about. With, with and also probably explains, the, a lot, when you go back to the time, a lot of frustrations of Roy Kane, who was this elite level... Yeah, but like, but, but look, look, look what's happened, Stephen Kenny. Now, like, yeah. the the you know, society, like the football world in Ireland now are going, you know, change it up. It's the best thing that group can do now is leave the jersey in a better place, right? Build belief in the next group of players coming in and pass that on. Play good football. This is the style we play. Like, yeah, we can get the tournaments. We're not going to win it. Yeah, you know. So Stephen Kenny, for me, maybe organically is creating a culture. You know, yeah, you can be unhappy with his results, but it's creating a culture that can be passed down for the next generation of players that when you come through, it's all aligned. Right. You know, so that's that's what that's what I believe. Like, you can be that person. You know, you, you see the new Bowls fans. Yeah. We need to win, we need to win, yeah, we need to win. Yeah, yeah, uh, And are probably against the cultural stuff that the co- the, the actual uh, club was built upon. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually spoke to the club historians when we done some workshops, started to understand how Bowls was created created by a bunch of lads, mixed backgrounds in the Phoenix Park in in a gate lodge, you know. So uh, I wanted to connect that with the players, get them to understand. We had, uh, at that time, Boas had the first black player. You know, they had different people from different backgrounds. It was was an incredible club. So that has to be, the the people that are on the board have to honour that. Mm-hmm. And some fans maybe don't want that. Oh either. no, yeah, the, the new breed. Anyway, <laughs> looks yeah. where all fans are welcome, but new breeds. <laughs> keep your opinions to yourself. Um, what I was going to say to you, Philly, you may just mentioned Stephen Kenny, and that was something I wanted to come to you. Like, um, you know, there there is this. There's a lot of spotlight on him. Obviously, he's the he's the he's the Irish senior manager. Um, and you know, initially there was a lot of goodwill from, uh, especially from the League of Ireland. They all want to see him do well, and I still think a lot of it is still there. But it's starting to change a little bit. People are starting to change their opinions. Um, there's this expression that um, uh, Shane Keegan used on the radio there the other day and I thought it was very apt he said that he gets he gets annoyed when people say that Stephen Kenny is out of his depth which he feels suggests that League of Ireland managers haven't got the ability to coach the national team um, but it sounds from what you just said there that you've been quite happy with what Stephen has done in his role as, as the Irish manager. I look at it differently. I look at the performance aspects of right. what he's done. Like I don't just look at... Results. Results, you yeah. know. So we... You, 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 again, one of those things that we would have worked with Bowes and, you know, it would have been big in, in the dubs. Uh, you would have heard us talk about in the media. Big in Arsenal at the minute. The process. Yes, not the, the process. Outcome, yeah. Not the outcome. And uh, in, in, in the... International world, the fans have become more o- outcome based, you know, and that's okay because yeah. winning is the game in soccer. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that's the game. You got to win. You got to, you know. But for me, um, it's crucial that people realise that there's a process to this. You know, there's a culture that you don't like now, but could have a huge impact in the next generation of footballers coming through. Because we don't want to get to the stage where we just keep surviving. Which means bring a new manager in, um, do okay, play a certain style of football, and just 
plod through. Create a style, create a philosophy that young kids will look at that and go, that's a style that I could help pass it on to the next manager and pass it down, you know, through the ranks and, and see really then how the quality then flourishes. And again, having this situation where the 18, you can't be going off to England till you're 18. I know there's a couple of lads going to Europe. That's going to make the a stronger yeah. uh, league here. It's going to make the, the levels of the, the setups here really good. But I just think, uh, you know, there's been so many certain things where players coming in from other countries to play for Ireland and that's okay that's that's benefited us in the past as well certain players that have played was then moving on you know Grealish and, and with Rice. Rice <laughs> as an example but we need we, 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 we have a really multicultural um, population right now so we need to benefit from that genetics mm -hmm. physical all that yeah. sort of stuff although a lot of that lets down the underage of, of, of soccer in this country. For example, I train a lot of young footballers. That's what I do in my gym. I don't train, don't do much PT with people. Me, me, me staff do that. I focus on young footballers and have MMA fighters as well. And basically what we, and gas, sorry. And what we do is um, we, we try, you know, improve the easiest performance pillar, which is physical. But it a lot of it is organic. It's genetic, right? So every young lad, the technically one of the best of the lads that I have, right? Now, he's 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 uh, gone, just about going to go through his growth sport from 14 to 15 to 16, right? Uh, the gaps that we have now in National League in this country, it's 15, 17, 19s. He, he um, was playing for a club, uh, kind of lost love, uh, conflict with the manager, dropped off, went down to the DDSL League, played with a club. He was above the level of that. Yeah. Wants to get back up to National League now, but can't get up there because all the teams that are looking at him, they're looking at him from the physical point of view, not the technical side. Right. So, so he's he that two-year gap, he's a year younger or whatever, yeah. Yeah, between 15 and 17, it's yeah. terrible. Like, yeah. So if you have a kid that is playing uh, soccer and ga, those years he's going to go off playing ga. Right. Because the elitism is different. Okay. Right. So the league is letting a lot, the potential uh, in, the, in the country is being let down a lot. So we could talk about Stephen Kenny and the Forest team, but there's there's an alignment piece that the FEI need to look at all the way through. But this goes back to this funding thing, doesn't it? Like you know, and the the the, the want from the FEI to increase infrastructure, but also to employ a lot more full time coaches. Because listen to coaches on podcasts before, their frustrations are because they're not full time, and kids are off on Easter holidays, summer holidays, wherever. They can't train them until the evenings because they didn't work themselves that day. Yeah. But if they're full time, they could be doing football camps, work camps, and and, and and installing this culture on the on the younger generation. Uh, sorry, Philly, we're, we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to get your perspective on um, uh, Stephen Hunt has been a regular contributor to uh, to the podcast. Um, a proud Waterford man, uh, still thinks he could uh, uh, ensure that Waterford win a hurl in our learning by himself. <laughs> yeah. So he still loves the guy and all that. And uh, uh, we asked him a question there: What um, does he, in his experiences, are um, are professional footballers fitter than the, the modern day GEA player? Yeah. And he doesn't believe they are because, uh, what was his reason? His reason was, uh, he, I suppose, with football, it's day in, day out. Um, whereas with the guy... So he said soccer players are fair than guy? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a strength and coach, so I know the numbers on it, right? Um, they can't be compared. Okay, right. right. I'll tell you why. Because I, I had a chat with Kevin Kilban recently and we were chatting about some of the numbers. Uh, and so it's very hard to compare because the dynamics of a pitch, the time of the game, 
um, the contact in the game and the skill level of the game. It's very hard to compare. So okay. if someone says one or the other, yeah, you're comparing it's, chalk it's and very cheese. Hard. It's yeah. very hard. Like in a ga game, 10k over 1k in terms of meters, uh, high speed running. Uh, in soccer, you're looking at uh, over 90, that's over 70 minutes, 70 plus minutes. Over 90 minutes, you're talking about 12 to 13k, but you're structured as well. You've offside, you have systems. Gats a bit more open. Yeah. Open. So if I if I do 10k in a game, it's 100 laps across park. Like. Wow. And you're getting hit and you're moving the ball and you're soloing the ball. Like if you look at the shape of soccer players compared to Ga, Ga players are more robust. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is they have to be more robust because they're getting hit, you know, so they have to be mu- more muscular to protect their body. Like, you yeah. Know? Um, and you look at like, so Ga players are big, massive quads because they're soloing the ball. So they have knee extension all the time, soloing the ball, kicking the ball in the air. Soccer players, massive calves. Because yes, Grealish. Yeah, Grealish. <laughs> and that's because of agility. Yeah, it's more. It's, it's guys more linear soccer. You need the, the and explosiveness main. and that kind of thing. Is it? Yeah, it's multi-directional. So in, yeah. in movement efficiency, you have acceleration, speed, multi-directional movements, and deceleration. Say multi. Yes, sorry, sorry. There's four. So your speed, acceleration, deceleration, and multi-directional. So in ga because you have the length of the pitch, mm-hmm. you have acceleration, speed, not much multi-directional in soccer because you stay in your structure. Let's say a six. Or some of that plays in the field that have to have really good agility, like Jack Bourne. Yeah, low center of gravity, torn really sharp. That's that's the perfect body shape for a midfielder. And I'm I'm being told that we've we've come to the end of our time. Um, but before I go, uh, Philly, before I go, uh, Dublin Mayo on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I thought, I thought, yeah, it would have been nice to say Bowser or Rovers next week. But it's, uh, Dublin Mayo, it's gonna be it's gonna be so good. I, I worry about Dublin not having to play uh, their sparring partners. Let's say in the last couple of games. Yeah. They wouldn't have been exposed to what Mayo have been exposed to. Galway are tipped to win an All Ireland this year, you know. Mm. So they're going to have to settle the ship for the first twenty minutes. They're going to have to focus on the third quarter where Mayo are really strong. They were strong when they bet us two years ago in the third quarter. They were strong against Galway in the third quarter. Uh, and I think now Dublin can say to themselves, "Right, lads, look, this is our chance to, uh, you know, the horse that we have from two years ago. Let's let's Chandler. let's let's do it." Like, yeah. and, and if they win that game, you know. Who's winning the All Ireland Philly? I kind of, I was, I was kind of, I, I couldn't really say. I couldn't really actually say who was going to win at the start of the year. But I, I recently, I've, I've said to myself, it's set up for a car. Uh, sorry, it's set up for a Kerry Dublin final. You know, and if Dublin beat Mayo, I think Dublin could win it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. The Jacks are back. <laughs> Everyone calling me wherever on the on the podcast now. <laughs> Philly McMahon, thanks very much for joining me today on House Football. It was an absolutely fascinating and uh, and interesting chat and I hope everyone out there enjoyed it uh, that's all for me Eric Lawler I will be back next week with House of Football with Sports Show and William Hill please do as I've always asked you to do subscribe like share tell your friends 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 and we'll, uh, and we'll talk to you next week you've been listening to House of Football brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill 